Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to men, men, <clears throat> excuse me, Mental Health Today. Uh, I'm your host, Ken Stearns, and today's going to be a really interesting episode. It brings back some real fond memories of the roadshow that I'm doing with the podcast, The Jar. Uh, along the way, uh, I had a, a really, you know, great friend, like, you know, this soulmate that I met along the way, somebody that, you know, somehow in a past lifetime, for sure, we were next door neighbors and we were eight-year-old you know, best friends running around in the streets together, uh, Pertis Williams. And, you know, he cooked me barbecue one day and then came back another day. We did a, we did a little event at a, at a place he's trying to build out. It's just a fantastic, uh, great couple of days. And he shared with me later uh, that he's got a therapist and uh, Warner. Uh, we've kind of, Warner and I, and I have tracked each other down and gotten on the show. Uh, Warner, thanks for being a guest. Well, thanks for having me, Ken. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be kind of fun. Um, you know, Pertis was such a such a great human, and um, and you know, well put together. And to see him, you know, very how is he put together? How has he got all that going on? Because he's working on himself. You know, mm. clearly he's putting in some work, and he's got a story. I had him as a guest on the Jar. So I know some of his personal story. Uh, you know, wow, man, he's had an interesting life, <laughs> and uh, you know, a great, a great story. So if anybody's listening, uh, Pertis Williams on the Jar Podcast is a great episode, and he's a great human. I encourage you to go find that one on all the regular, you know, kind of platforms. Warner. So the normal, you know, the normal program here is I really want to uh, get a chance to hear how did you choose this career. Um, you know, what, what was the why there? I was it up by accident. And then what's kind of hooked you into it? Cause you've been doing, you know, it doesn't seem like you've been scared away. Yeah. Uh, you're still in it. And, you know, <laughs> and let's start with that. And then we'll get to the other stuff I, I was asking you about before, which is, you know, why you're staying in, what's a passion, how's it changed? And we'll get to all those other topics, but let's get a little background to who you are. Okay. Um, I, um, I originally, um, I live in Vicksburg, Mississippi. I came here going to school, never planned to be here. I'm actually from Meridian, Meridian, Mississippi. Um, lived there, didn't really know what I want to do in life. Um, went to school, went to um, my um, undergrad. I was in agriculture, actually, Agri agriculture. Um, <laughs> of course you were. You were like, yeah, yeah. Right? In, in ag, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Just knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any counseling, didn't want to do any teaching. My mom's a teacher, didn't want to do anything like that. Um, Kind of started working in casino business. While I was in college, I actually started working in casino business. We worked for Ameristar Casino in Vicksburg. Worked there for about seventeen yeah, okay, years. Down in Vicksburg. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worked about, yeah. Wow. For about seventeen years, man. Just started off valet, parking cars. Um, ended up getting married, man. Had a life change, and me, you know, got married, brought my wife up here, um, and just started working, man. Just started working. Stopped going to school. Dropped out of school my my, my last year. Still didn't ever know what I'm doing. And just start working. And what happened is I, I kind of got promoted like six times in six years and I was moving on up and I was in casino management for a while and just kind of like didn't really like my job and love people that I worked with. 
Um, really didn't like the job, but the money was really good. And so I was able to take care of my family, you know, make what my friends made who graduated from college. And so I was just doing it. And, um, but really what happened, man, my, my wife, the job she had was working pretty good. She had stopped going to school and she had went back and I saw being a housing manager at Ameristar and in housing, you know, whenever they had an X there, like the vans and everything like that, they had a place that they built before they built the casinos and they would house the people like the groups and the, and the musicians and all that oh, in this housing right. place. And I ended right. up being the housing manager. And so me being a housing manager, what happened over time, they started putting them in a hotel. That was before we started at a hotel there. And so I started housing, you know, being managing the housing. And my wife, when she stopped being able to work at where she was working at Bath and Body Works, she started, um, she didn't have to work. And so what happened, she, she went back to school. And so when she went back to school, she started teaching. And so every day she would come home and she was like, I, I really love my job. And I was like, man, I want to love my job. I really want to love what I do. I said, but all yeah. I, only thing I enjoy doing is I talk to oh, these yeah. young guys. I said, I talk to these young guys every day and I like talking to them and I can talk to them and I can explain things to them. And she said, well, why don't you do counseling? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. I said, that's for the guys. This egg is they smart, man. I'm not smart like that. I don't know if I could do it. So long story short, end up going back to school. I'm a personal trainer. I've been doing bodybuilding for like, you know, 30 years. And so I got my master's in that. And then I was like, well, I'm gonna take a class in this counseling and see can I do it. So I took a class, aced it, man. Before I knew it, everybody was asking me questions and um, ended up getting another master's in counseling. And that's actually how I kind of started doing it. And, <laughs> you're just stacking and, up master's. You're just over there stacking up master's degrees. Man, just just, just, uh, just trying to figure my way out, man. Just trying to figure my way out of things, man. And, and actually found that's what I love doing, man. And I got in there and I really started working with people, man. And I kind of like had a midlife crisis in my 30s. That's when I went back to school in my 30s, man. And I uh, went to school about um, almost 12 years, man, going back, getting master's and working on my, you know, yeah. doing thing i never finished my phd but actually got some phd hours in and got my license to be a counselor man and just um just started enjoying it man and just and it gave me this intrinsic war the money is is, no, is nowhere near what i was making at first but um i just yes. really enjoyed you know helping people man the intrinsic reward in your heart you know changed um how you know what i want to do man what was my focus and so um that's how i kind of got to that point and i've uh, been doing mm. this it's probably going on my eighth year, man, since I started. I went in, I was 30, some of 40, for to be 49 in August, man, and, you know, going on, going on a while. So I do marriage and family counseling. I do, um, well, I'm, a, I'm over a drug, uh, I'm, a, I'm a director of a, a chemical dependency center, which is addiction. And I also, okay. I'm a professional counselor, I do that in the afternoon just because I'm a clinician at heart. So I still, I still do both, man. So I do all kind of stuff, man. I run the gamut of uh, mental I health. Think it's addiction. probably good, right, yeah. to keep your fingers a little bit, you know, keep your kind of keep your senses sharp on all yeah. the parts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, um, I'm a, I'm a kind of inquisitive person by nature. So I just love the human behavior, man. And so just being in, okay. in, and always, oh. always dealing with that. And, and you got to have a love for people. You, it has to be a call to be a counselor. You have to, it's like teaching. It's not, you can't just do it because you like to do it. You have to really care about people, especially in addiction. It's because you see people sometimes in their worst, sometimes in, in the mental health as well. You have to be able to, um, really care. And, and understand that mm. they're clients and that um, they need, you know, they just need help. They just sick a different kind of way, you know? And so, sick uh, and I had a, uh, one of my guests, I interviewed him recently and it was his last day of, uh -huh. of drinking. He was entering the, the, the center on the Monday. Wow. And, and so he was still drinking just to maintain, you know, so uh -huh. he didn't break, didn't break out, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, have problems before he got into the clinic. Yeah, alcohol you have to. real. I, yeah, but he's just come out. He's just come out and just said how great it was. Oh, that's awesome, man! It's 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 a beautiful thing. 
it's a beautiful thing to see people go from um, mm. the before and after, seeing when they start, yeah. when they come in, and see them come out. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a um, it can be a winless job. You know, sometimes you know we and counseling itself is like thirty percent success rate, and so you take that in half when you put it into addiction. So, it's, oh. but but those people who survive, man, those people who come through, oh, it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's hope. Yeah, you know? those are yeah. the. Those are the ones that keep you going. How yeah. has it changed since COVID? Uh, COVID even both. I mean, the just both right. sides of your of your work. But COVID is um, COVID increased a lot, you know, because you think about it. Um, the worst thing for um, for addiction and mental health is isolation. You know okay. what I'm saying? So being isolated, being in a place where you can't be, you know, a lot of times some people are isolated with the things that are their their biggest triggers. You know what I'm saying? So being in 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 that a lot of times bring a lot more mental health issues because like think about if you triggered with your family or you have issues with your with your right. spouse and you're there with right. them all the time, or the person that is abused, you the person that you know that brings your addiction in, then you're there. And then also the hopelessness of not knowing what's going on. Because with COVID, we didn't know what was gonna happen. So you kind of go to your default. And your default is to deal, especially with addiction, is, is how how do I deal with stress? And so if my stress is addiction, my stress is worry, if my stress is depression. Then I go to that thing that I'm that I'm used to, even if it's mm-hmm. not a, a thing that's helpful for me. So it, it actually increased, you know, everything. You know, so um, COVID was um, COVID was it was really tough on the mental health, really co- tough on, and because most people who are in addiction have co-occurring disorders, so they usually have some form of mental issues, you know, mental illness plus um, what you call it? We call it an illness, but it's really like you know, depression, anxiety. No bipolar, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're worrying. It's it's not even really yeah. a mental illness. It's just it's right. a it's a lower level. I mean, there's so yeah. I think so much of that we talk about. We put it under mental health, mm-hmm. um, but it is really maybe not. It's just worrisome. People worried and they're ang- which makes them anxious and that kind of mm-hmm. spins out of control a little bit. It's behavior. Um, behavior. Yeah, it's behavior. It's that's why I, that's my favorite. You know, anxiety and depression because that is something we can work on. You know, with coping yeah. skills. Now you got yeah. you you bring in um you bring in. Uh, schizophrenia you bring in um bipolar it's a it's a on a different level that's something uh-huh. that that's that's your that's your your levels are off and so that has to be medicated you know but yeah. anxiety and depression we can work on that you can it's yes. how you deal with stress how you deal with anxiety you know and so i, I like those more because it's on the in the behavior type you know where i can really you know give you tools and really help you if you want to you know get better yeah you know? i i agree yeah the other one is a real medical condition it's a real mm-hmm. that's a real challenge um, right and like you said, there's that's that's a different that's a whole different level. Um, but mm-hmm. I and I too, I love this stuff. I've been you know I've been going back and listening to some mm-hmm. old twenties and forties these mm-hmm. motivational speakers, uh, right. and a lot of them are referencing hospital beds being filled with people of who who are there because they they have worries, yeah, and they're anxious, right? Uh, and they've got a bit of depression. So right. it was a real thing in the in you know the I think back a you know not that long ago. That it was, right. you know, you could go to a hospital and say, I just don't feel good. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sick from worry. And then you look at what well, we got social media, you got TV, you got the news, you got politics and what we see all the time. Fear is a thing that is constantly pushed in society. And so if you're fearful, of course, you're going to be anxious. And, and anxiety is fear of something mm-hmm. that hasn't happened yet. And so if you're fearful, thinking that something's going to happen, that everything's going to go wrong. And so, you know, you're putting it up in your mind and you, you build this, um, this fear. And so it's this monster that you're thinking it's going to come all the time, you know? Yeah. So, so one of the things is teaching people how to, because people don't sleep. And then what happened with anxiety is that you stop sleeping 
And then you get paranoid, you know what I'm saying? Then this vicious Oh, yeah, if you're not sleeping, on, one thing's for sure oh. going to happen. You're going to be paranoid. You're going to oh, get yeah. paranoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're going to, it's just, it's crazy, man. It's, it's just, uh, and a lot, what a counselor job is, you know, what, what a counselor job is, you know, one of the, one of the, um, the hats they wear is making you aware. You know, it's becoming aware. Hey, this is what happened. This is when this thing, because we're like a kind of computer program. And once we kind of put it in, we kind of put it in, download this into our kind of like database. And we kind of say, hey, this thing is this thing is scary. This thing is worrisome. And it's, it's just this monster. And so what a, what a counselor does is just make you aware of the monster. So worst case scenario, if this monster come, what you're going to do? How you know? are you going to make? Yeah, we talk to right. him and yeah. build those skills. Right. And then you just kind of go back. You just kind of backtrack it. You know, OK, since it's not the monster, it's just his son or just just not the monster, just just this facility. So then it's not as bad as we thought. So then I can risk because once I've. Once I saw the monster and took his picture off, I realized that it's just a, it's just the ironing board in the, you know, in the in the kitchen with the, yeah, yeah. With the wind right. blowing. You know what I'm saying? And it's not as bad as I thought. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, so and the once worst I get... case that'll happen is not that big of a deal. Right, right. So the little things are easy. You know, you eat your vegetables first, man. That's when I, when I used to buy the bill, man, we always did legs first because that's the hardest. So you eat the hardest thing first, man. You do the hardest thing first. And then oh, yeah, if you're bodybuilding, yeah. legs first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everything else is cake. We could everything else is just cake, man. <laughs> so yeah. Everything else. yeah. Everything else is cake. Yeah. Um, I did have another another question. You've been in the business. What are what kind of I mean, how has the regulatory side of this been for you over the years? I mean, and and what do you see, you know, what do you see we need to do? What and what are we getting right over the government, you know, on the regulatory side, making it easier for people like you to do your work? Well, they they regulated counseling. So first, well, I'm a, I'm a licensed professional counselor. For a while, it was more it was geared towards social workers. Social workers has been around since the beginning of the time. You know what okay. I'm saying? So it's a lot easier for us to get get licensed where they could charge Medicaid and Medicare. So we just recently been able to get into the through the uh, through Congress to let us let the counselors be able to come in and charge as well. And that way, we have more access to older individuals, younger individuals, to people who okay. need that care. And so that's a that's the, that's one of the wins. That you know, and then also being aware the mental health is a real thing, you know, and it's sad that it took a you know a lot of these shootings and these things like that to bring it aware. And it's kind of you know it's kind of a different platform to kind of get it off on other things, but the mental health is real, and it and it's in so many, it's so many people, man. And and anxiety and depression, we all have a little bit of all of that. We all have a little depression, have a lot of anxiety, a little PTSD. We all have a little bit. We need it. We, you need anxiety. You need a little anxiety to make you move. You need a little what you call, you know, we need all yeah. that. Everybody needs a little of that stuff to make you anxious. Interesting. You, you need a little bit of that. All right. You, you won't get up and do anything. If you think your job is not, you know, that you can just do anything you want to with your job, you'll never do anything. You need a little bit of anxiety about, like, hey, maybe it's time for me to start doing this work, you know, or maybe it's time for me to get up and go to, you know, I, I need a little anxiety. It pushes me, you know, you need a little bit of it. But yeah. it's when it becomes to a point where it's debilitating, when I cannot perform or when I cannot do things, that's when my anxiety or my depression has got out of out of out of um out of control. That's when you need to talk to somebody. I I kind of I really like that uh, Warner. I love that I love that approach, which is yeah, it's healthy. It motivates me. It's mm -hmm. it's something that I should have. It's it's mm -hmm. my friend. Mm -hmm. And you know, but whoa, if if I can't regulate it, then obviously it becomes it's something else. That's a really and then that takes away a lot of the stigmatism. Mm -hmm. That's me, the biggest right? deal. Right. It takes, right. I mean, that removes the stigmatism because everybody's carrying it and it's a purposeful, mm -hmm. useful part of, you know, being a human and you're having right. your brain. I, lo I love that. And it keeps right. you alive, probably. 
you know, have a right. little bit of anxiety keeps you, you know, if you're in a not so, um, right. you know, if you're out, I don't know, in the wild jungle back in the day. Exactly. You better, have, you better be a little bit anxious. A tiger's going to jump up and snatch you. Right. If you're not, a, that's your fight or flight mechanism. If you do not yeah. have anxiety, how are you going to know what that to be on guard? You know what exactly. I'm saying? How am I going to know yeah. if something happened that I need to do? And so, but, but what I can't do is be on guard 24 7. It's like if you have this, right. this, this really nice sports car. You know what I'm saying? It's made to drive fast. Okay. It's made to drive 200 some miles an hour. But if you drive 200 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, it's going to wreck something. So yeah. if, I'm, if I have anxiety all the time, then eventually I'm going to blow a gasket. It doesn't matter if it's made in, in, in Italy. You know what I'm saying? It's made for that purpose. It's still going to blow a gasket if it never rests. So if I have anxiety to a point where I cannot sleep and my heart is beating, because when I'm having anxiety, my heart's beating fast, my, um, my, my blood vessels are clenched, all of these things, and that's the, what causes the breakdown eventually. And it's not made for this. It's made for mm -hmm. that short burst of time, you know, for me to use it that time and then for me to go back to my regular thing that, hey, I'm going to run, I'm going to freeze, I'm going to fight. And so when I'm not doing any these things, what happened then I become panicky. It's like if you're anxious all the time yes. and, that you, yeah. and then you know, panic and everything that moves, I'm kind of, you know, it's like if you ever hit a deer. I hit a deer one time, right? And so I hit this oh. deer and I hit this deer. And so I was driving to Natchez when I was in school. And then for a while, man, every time I drove, I was just looking for a deer to come out. You know what I'm saying? I was just anxious. You know, and it could come apart if I kept on being anxious. What happened is I would never drive. You know, I would yeah, be so yeah. scared that I would, I would be so petrified Absolutely. that I would freeze. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you have to battle it. So I had to say, hey, worst case scenario, the deer comes, I hit it. Hey, I got these deer whistles. It's not worth nothing. Hey, worst case scenario, if I hit the deer, I just hit the deer. You know? And so it, it has to be like that. And deal with it. Yeah. And deal whatever with it, it is. Know? Yeah, whatever it is. It's funny you'd mention that because I did have a complete – I had I had this absolute – high anxiety moment uh on my trip and it was driving in northern michigan mm. and in that part of the country they on this one road they let the pines grow mm. these tall beautiful pines they grow right up mm. on the edge and there's a part where you're cut you're literally you're you're driving through and it's just a, a you're cut out of this tr mountain of of trees wow. and i was i was you know you go to about 70 miles an hour it's beautiful, mm -hmm. but I was just like, I, I was taking these short hyperventilating breaths, just waiting <laughs> for a big deer to come through my windshield because yeah. yeah. it's, it's literally one leap and yeah. Boom. <laughs> passenger. Yeah. Deer yeah. soup, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's no joke. Yeah. yeah that's no real. Uh, so I have that, 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 like you said, and being able to go through that process of mm -hmm. talking to your, talking to myself and saying, mm -hmm. okay, you know, like it is what it is. Slow. So what can you, what's in my control? Mm -hmm. Slow down. Speed, right. I can slow it down. I take mm -hmm. some deep breaths, look a little bit further, just, right. you know, just keep a little bit more alert and just, you mm -hmm. know, and drive. Yeah. Right. Cause what's out of your control is the deer. What's in my control. And that's anxiety. That's how you deal with exactly right. Hey, these things that are in my control, this is what I can do. Certain things yeah. are out of my control. And what it is, is anxiety is about a control thing. That's really what it comes down. I want to control things that are uncontrollable. You know what I'm saying? And uh, some things I can't control. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I have fear about these things that I can't control. That's the same way with PTSD, same way with trauma. It's, you know, because, you know, a lot of times yeah, with trauma, it has happened to me, right? So trauma... I have a victim. When something happens to me when I was young, it happened, and I can't do anything about that. Mm. I was a victim when it happened. But now, I'm an actor. I can actively decide that I'm going to let this thing continue to traumatize me, or I'm actively that I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to make some. I'm aware of it. And so that's the same way. It's like, um, so trauma's like this. 
if you walk down, I walk into your house and I bump my leg on a on the side of your what you call I bump on the side of your corner of your your uh, your desk in there. Okay, when it hits my leg, it's gonna cause a, a bruise, right? A trauma. Yes. Yeah. Now if I'm running and I hit my leg on it, it's gonna cause trauma, but it's gonna be deep trauma. You know what I'm saying? Because now my um, leg is hurting. So when I pass by, no matter what, either way, the trauma, when I pass by, guess what? It, it time stamped. I'm going to remember what happened. If it's bad or if it's Yeah, good. you will. You know what I'm saying? So now I was a victim when it happened, but now I'm an actor. So now when I go, I have to decide how I'm going to let this thing affect me. You know what I'm saying? Am I going to continue to walk by it or am I going to take another path? You know what I'm saying? And so that's why. And then if I really learn how to deal with trauma, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and I'm gonna say, Ken. Hey man, don't run across the, over there because this thing right here can hurt you really bad, man. Because yeah. it hurt me. Now it's my story and I control it, right? And so it's not it's not happening. I can walk by and everything. Every time I see it, I just start crying while I understand and it hurts me really bad because I think about it and I relive it. Or I can take control back and say, hey, now it takes time. It's not as easy as that with some things, but it's about the control thing. I can continue to see myself mm-hmm. as a as a as a victim. Or I can become an actor, and it's it's different. It's according to how young it happened to you when you were a certain age. And it's according, but at the end of the day, I have to decide how am I going to deal with this trauma, this traumatic event, you know. And so they leave yeah. scars. They always going to leave scars, but it can be a scar that you can tell somebody about, or it can be a scar that when I when I when I touch it, it's infected in this in this big infection. Yeah, it continues to hurt me. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think you look at it now, right? You start, I, you you take it to another level. Even for me now, as I'm traveling, things are happening at times, and it's almost mm-hmm. like the universe is winking. You know, is showing me these little winks. You know, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm seeing stuff happen now, and, and mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Things doors open, and I'm like, "Well, oh, no, that's an awfully, that's a funny coincidence." Mm-hmm. And you can either ignore it, or you can kind of look at it and smile, and mm-hmm. it becomes part of your story. So, mm-hmm. I, I, so I'm using that too. So even when you know bad things happen along the mm-hmm. road, mm-hmm. I'm always looking at it and going, "Okay." Okay, mm-hmm. what's going on? You know, what's mm-hmm. going on? Okay, it's something bad happened. I got to deal with whatever the flat tire or you know my mm-hmm. windshield got cracked the other day. And okay, mm-hmm. what's you know what's what's going on? Mm-hmm. It's got to be a little bit of a trauma, but there's some lesson in there, right, right? That we can take away and then kind of own it, like really own the story, right? Not right. be the victim in the story, but you know, be the the student, right? And then help somebody else. That's what you say. You learn something from it. You say, hey. Hey man, be careful when you come out again because this will happen to me that time. Yeah. And so not only do I own the story, man, I control how it's told. So once you control the story, you can tell how much you want to tell the story or how not, how how, how little or how much you want to tell the story. Because yeah. now it's your it's your story. So now the control is back on you. When it happened to you, you you was the victim. But now once you got to deal with it, now you you're the author now. You control that story. You know, and you tell how it's gonna happen and what's mm-hmm. not gonna happen from it. Because now you own the story. Yeah. Yeah, and I could I could relate that to a lot of the guests uh, mm-hmm. on the Jar podcast when they mm-hmm. talk about their traumas. <clears throat> many of them are in a good place now; they're mm-hmm. quite reflective, and they're quite. And most of them are are pretty well healed. And a lot of a lot of their traumas, they're talking about them, and it becomes their mm-hmm. story. Yeah. So it's exactly really like you you say, mm-hmm. and you know they're telling the story, and they're like, "What's happened?" But they're controlling the story. They're controlling they control the, the story, and yeah. they've stopped they've stopped that trauma from happening to another person as well. Right. Right. Which is a they, they, really... they're advocate advocate now. Now they're advocate. For oh, is, it, is that what you call it? It's an advocate. Yeah. So they've come from a person yeah. from a victim to yeah. an actor to now they're advocate. Now they're telling other people how to keep this from happening to them. Oh, that's right. Well, you're just telling so, me the story. Yeah. yeah so they've, yeah. yeah, with their kids. Yeah. They're not creating that environment that they grew up in. They're mm-hmm. not allowing right. that to happen. Mm-hmm. 
It's a choosing. Now they choose, and that's the choice. You know, now I choose to look at it different. I choose to change the story and the narrative, you know? Yeah. And that's what I like about it. It's called choice therapy. That's what I like, man. Choice therapy, reality therapy. That's my therapy I like because it's about that. It's about choice, you know? Yeah, and just really guiding people through that process, right? Right. If they want to. At the end of the day, it's always true. Because you think about it, um, Ken, is that you still can choose. You can choose how you want your story to be. I can choose to let this thing continue to be, or I can choose not to. Even by not choosing to do anything about it, I've basically by default chosen to allow this thing to stay. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. You know, it's like you're saying, hey, I want to lose, you know, I want to lose weight. You're like, well, I'm not going to exercise. Now, I'm basically choosing to stay the same way. If I change nothing, then, it, then I can't blame anybody but myself. I yeah. had to change the story. I had to change the narrative. Even by me not choosing, I'm still choosing. You know what I'm saying? So I, I still choose. You know, when I was in the military, um, this, this is the first time I realized that you, you didn't have to do anything. I, I was in the military and this guy, he just decided, man, he wasn't doing no more push-ups. He was in basic training. He was like, I'm not doing anything else. And so the drill sergeants came, man, and they got in his face and they cussed him out, man, talked about him really bad. And then they brought some more drill sergeants and everybody talked about him. He was like, he just sat there. And then they took his money, gave him Article 15, took his pay from him, man. You know what they did? Eventually, man, they just sent him home. Because guess what? No matter what they did, they couldn't beat him. They couldn't put him in jail. And he still said, I'm not doing it. And he just didn't. And I was like, man, he, he really just didn't do anything. I was like, you know, I thought you had to do it. And he, I thought you, know, you had. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, that's an interesting story, right? Yeah. You would think yeah, you, you have to do it. And he said, no, I don't have to do it. He did. He didn't. They fussed and hollered. He just sat there. <laughs> and they got in the face and they did all this stuff and they said it was going to do it. And he walked around in clothes and eventually, you know, after a couple of weeks, they sent him home, you know, because he was like, he just refused. And I was like, wow, you really have a choice in life to do or not do. I can either look at my situation and say, hey, this is all going to be or I can choose to be different. Now, other people might choose to look at you different, but you have that choice on what you're going to do and how you're going to look at yourself. Uh, he had his choice, right? That's a beautiful right. thing. Yeah. I, I, I. You know, I'm not sure I would have gone that down that road, but no, he had his... <laughs> I wouldn't either. But he did. I was like, wow. I was 17, man. I was like, wow, man, this is. Oh. So he really didn't do it, man. Wow. Oh yeah, you're 17. You're like, yeah, I'm 17 in basic training, man. You know, I, I went to summer my 11th grade year, went to basic, man, and hey, I was my first time seeing the world. I didn't know, I had no idea that you could do that, man. So I oh yeah, you were probably ready for him to get a, a beat a beat down like Grandpa would do, yeah. right? Or, or yeah, Dad that's what I was doing. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought you did, man. I just did. <laughs> like, I was like, this dude's not going to do it, you know? <laughs> so he did, and then he, nothing happened to him. And you're like, he holy cow. I was like, they can't do anything to him. I was like, you know, so, yeah. Oh, what a great what a great yeah. lesson for a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah, man. It was. I remember it, man. I'm 40. I'll be 49 in yeah, uh, right? I mean, August, that's... man. And that's crazy. I still remember like we yesterday, man. You know, so, yeah. That's powerful. Right. Well, Warner, we're at the we're kind of at the end. Um, okay. I want to I want to extract some you know some some closing thoughts from you, um, you know, or and maybe a message, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and I think really it's about what can we do, you know, how do we as society do a little bit better? What do you see out there, you know, from your you know how do we be better humans? And um, and then maybe just some you know closing thoughts. Well, one of the biggest things I, I see is that um, I, I tell people is that we have to learn empathy. Empathy, actually, you get it you know, from your mother. You get it from mm -hmm. your mother, from your father. When a baby's a certain age, man, they can they can only see so far. So they learn how to smile and how to look at things based on their parents. Then you have up to a certain age, about 12 years old, to learn empathy. If you hadn't learned it by then, it's pretty hard to get it. 
Um, oh, man. Look at some celebrities. You look at Mike, Mike Tyson. You look at some of these different guys, man, and they was raised in jail or something like that. They didn't have their mom, and we wonder why they act like that because they didn't have it. They don't understand that. Yeah. But yeah. empathy, man, is, is putting yourself in another person's shoes. It's not saying if this was me, I'd do that. Hey, maybe if I grew up and I was a black guy or a white guy or I was an older man or I was somebody and this, or I was a lady and this happened to me, then maybe this would feel that certain kind of way. And that's empathy, mm. putting myself in that person's shoes. So learning how to empathize, that's for us on uh, mental health, that's for us addiction, that's for us any other thing that's going on. And man, just really caring about people. Uh, when we learn how to empathize, man, we'll we look at things different. And what I tell people in addiction and mental health is that that could be your mother, could be your sister, could be your brother, yeah. that's somebody's child. And so when you when you talk about people who are in addiction, you talk about people who are going through mental health, that could be you, it could be your grandchild one day. And so um, treat those people, realize that they're sick. It's a different kind of way. Um, um, get rid of the stigma, you know, talk about it. A lot of men, I do a men's group with my guys on, um, on Thursday at my job, you know, and I tell them, I say, you know, men, you know, the Bible says iron sharp, iron sharpen each other, sharpen people that are like, if you've been through something and you're a man, hold another man accountable for being a man. You know what I'm saying? It's okay to be in a group, but you need to be around other people who can sharpen you. You know what I'm saying? Who can say, hey, hey, call you on your stuff. You know, that's why AA is so powerful because it's people who are in addiction, they're they're dealing with it and they can say, Hey man, hey, I know what you're doing. You just you just bullcrapping, man. You're not telling the truth. You know what I'm saying? Or how yeah, man, yeah you need that. You know what I'm saying? We need that. Or ladies can say, Hey, lady, hey, you just doing this, you're just doing that. And uh, and and I think that helps get rid of like the stigma of that, the stigma of mental health, so that um people can get help, man. And if you don't mm. go to, to counseling, but for nothing for the person to just to listen to you for 45 minutes, uninterrupted, man, and you're the most and when you're doing that 45 minutes, your counselor, you're the most important person on earth. And all the things you can't say in other conversations, man, they're going to listen to you. They're going to nod their head. They're going to talk to you. And they're going to help you see. And at the end of the day, a good counselor sees you as an expert. They're not the expert. You're the expert. They just help you guide you. You know what I'm saying? So I think um, they don't cry away from it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it helps. When I was in school, I remember we had to do group counseling. And I was like, man, I'm not telling these people my business. I'm not doing that. We was in class. and I, But after a while, I was telling people everything. I was like, hey, hey this is going on with me. This, because it's so freeing, you know, to be able to, hey, help, you know, to share, man. To share. Because that's how you grow. That's how you heal. And that's how you move on. You know, learn about yourself. So. I, I I just love that you going in there and just saying there's no chance I'm telling you guys anything. Anything, man. <laughs> but at the end, man, you, it was so beautiful. Yeah. I told him everything. Uh, I was like, hey, hey, this is going on. Because it's once you hear once people start sharing, man, you want to share. You feel like, hey, I can at least share. If this person's gonna tell this, man, I can at least say this by myself. Yeah, you almost know? like you have to share it to support them in a way, like a little bit of empathy, but also a chance mm -hmm. to share it. Like, what a great motivation. Right. And you feel closer, yeah. man. You feel closer to them when you get through. Yeah. And you sure you feel closer. I think that's why couples yeah. therapy is so powerful. Right. Yeah. I love it, man. I, I love Duke. It's tough. I do couples therapy, man, but it's I it's there so much. I, I really enjoy it. But it's a tough deal. It's a tough I deal. Would've... But I <laughs> I do a lot of couples therapy, but it I, I enjoy it, man. But it's because it's the family, man, is needed, man. It's really needed. You know, it's so yeah. You know, I yeah, and I think when you when you keep those things together, where you help people heal or stay together, it's got to be just powerful. Yeah, yeah. But well, and it helps mm. families, man, and it helps. Uh, it helps. Families. Oh yeah, it helps those groups because what happens? You think about it. You meet a person. We 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 we're attracted to that person, and then that's it. They get married, and they don't know anything about it. You don't know how to deal with faith. You don't know how to deal with finances. You don't know how to do with all these other things. And guess what? They just together, and they realize that after a while, all that physical stuff wear off. And hey, what what do we have this in common? So we need to start kind of going through that, pulling those layers back. Hey, and guess what? Yeah. We all are victim of how we was raised, you know? And so we have to kind of go back and say, hey, this is how I see the world. This is how I see the world. And then we kind of make compromises, man, so that we can be together. You know, it's, it's a process. And no one teaches you that. You don't have a class on that. 
There's yeah, there's no class on this kind of it. This is a real integrate. This is a real integration. Yeah, it is. It's two two complicated softwares coming together. Two two of a man, and it's and it's and a different man. It's so like Microsoft all, and Apple trying to right. operate on the same laptop. Right, right, right. And it, and you're like, what is going on? You know, and two totally <laughs> ways different. Two totally different ways of thinking, seeing the world. I, you know, absolutely. Wow, yeah, yeah. And so once all that wears off, man, it's the reality. You know, and so you got to find that common ground. You got to find that pearl. You got to find that thing that's, that keeps you together. You got to find that center that brings y'all together. And it got to be that love and everything else comes out of that love, man. You know what I'm saying? So I always find out, hey, do you love each other? You care about each other? Then we can work on everything else. You know, but that's the main thing. And so everything else comes out of that. You know, I love so, yeah. find that commonality. Warner, thanks so much for being yeah. a guest. I really appreciate it. it. It's a really interesting. Great chat. Um, yeah. I got another commercial and I'll just hang around. I'll see you real quick on the other side. Okay. Sounds great, man. Thanks everybody for listening and supporting the mental health today show. Get great guests like Warner on and just get different perspectives from people in the business all around the country and really in all points of, of trying to help in the mental health crisis. Thanks. We'll see you again soon. Yeah. Loose baby. But we're about to go and, make this vessel with these great professionals in public class. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're going to go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.